Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. So threatening every single time. Morning, church. How we doing? Good, good. Very un- a very unenthusiastic whoop whoop. Okay, no, that's too much. We, we're going to aim for that middle section. If you're online, <laughs> thanks for not yelling. Um, and if you do, I don't care. Um, we're so glad that you're with us. My name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at, uh, at FBH. It's good to be with you today. I haven't gotten to preach in three weeks, so buckle in. You're going to be here till dinner. Um, but uh, no, before we get rolling here on the message, we've got a couple housekeeping items that we, uh, we want to take care of. Uh, the first of which is, uh, is a matter of sadness, actually, for all of us. Uh, I'm going to invite the Pollocks to come on up. Pollock family, Peter, Debbie, kids, come on up. Give them a round of applause as they come. I'm going to Jeff, Kyle, you guys can come out too. Uh, Peter's not actually hurt. He does this for sympathy. I was just kidding. Come on. Yeah, please don't fall. He's also not English is what he said. Um, he does that for sympathy as well. Go ahead and grab this. Um, you're not preaching, so don't get too comfy. Uh, but, uh, but one of the things uh, that, uh, that continues to, be rem- to remain true here at, uh, at FBH is just that, and over the course of the last year, we've had, if you include the Pollocks and, and kids and everybody, we've had over 60 people move away from the church, either move out of state or relocate or something like that. Um, and that's part of what happens when you, you hold people open-handedly and say, God, you do whatever it is that you would like to do uh, with them. And so this week, not only is it the Pollocks uh, last weekend here with us, uh, many of you guys know, know the Allens, Steve and Linda, we prayed for them uh, a couple months ago, and, and Steve had gone and, and set stuff up in Wyoming where they're moving to, but this is also Lindy and the kids last weekend with us as well. Um, and so, uh, but, but we've prayed for them and we love them and make sure you give them a hug over there. You make sure we give them a hug uh, on their way out today. Uh, but today we're going to do the same for, for you and send you off. But, but your story's um, uh, a, little bit, a little bit different. Um, uh, and so you guys have some, some plans and what, or I guess you guys don't have plans. God has some plans for what you're, I was like, we wish we had plans. Uh, tell us a little bit about what God's doing in your life. You're welcome. I, I, how, there is an on button on it, I promise. There you go. Ooh. Uh, okay, so. Jeez. Ooh. It's okay. It's okay. Microphones are difficult. Go ahead. They'll fix it in the back. You don't change what you're doing. David will fix it in the back. When you're you. as old as me, you'll find it difficult. Uh, <laughs> I'll also injure myself. Okay, go ahead. Uh, so God has called us to go to Georgia and to start a new ministry. Um, we are going to be ministering to pastors by giving them a, uh, and missionaries and other people in Christian ministry, uh, by giving them a place that they can get away uh, on a free vacation. Um, we're also going to be working with uh, kids, particularly those like in the inner cities and things like that, bring them out into the, to the countryside, show them God's glory, um, show them the glory of nature, get them out of what uh, the concrete jungle that they see every day and give them uh, an experience of God in a way they've never had before. Uh, and we believe that God has shown us the place in Georgia, but we do not have that place yet. 
And we leave on Tuesday. We have nowhere to go. <laughs> yeah. So he has shown you. He has not yet shown the homeowners or the, the property owners of he, that. Or, or he showed them and they said no. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. They should listen to my sermon today. It's going to be about faith. Um, and so anyway, that being said, what, tell us a little bit maybe how, how we can support you as you guys go as a church. How can we love you? Uh, we love you well as, as we go. And I didn't give Peter these questions ahead of time. So whatever you say, I can't stop you at this point. So go ahead, man. Uh. Can I say we need $3 million you, to buy this property? You 100% can say that, yeah. <laughs> so we need $3 million to buy this property that we're looking at, or we need the, the people who own it to give it to us, um, uh, or some other miracle. Uh, yeah. God, God may have something else for us. He may just be getting us mobile to, to give us something else. We uh, have to pack our furniture tomorrow morning at 10 a.m., so if anybody has muscles, that would be great. Yeah. Um, we could really use your prayer um, and... We'll keep you updated with what we're doing. Um, we're going to have to build cabins for the, the ministers, to go, the, the whatever those people are called, pastors and stuff, to come stay in. <laughs> Thank you. Once we, get, once we get land to put it those on. Those people. <laughs> we're we're going to be running camps. We're going to be doing, um, the place we've got has a, 40, uh, we're looking at, has a 48 acre lake uh, and is 100 acres in total. We're, we're going to be looking at doing canoes and boats and all kinds of stuff for the kids and uh, we're going to need leaders in the summer to come and help with those camps so maybe in the future if, if God calls you to come and help us for a week or two or the summer that would be great yeah just let me know when it's done I'm happy to come relax <laughs> yeah yeah <Okay>? so um, <laughs> I'll yeah, yeah. So all that to be said, uh, we, we love the Pollocks. Um, uh, they have been an, a huge encouragement to me, uh, especially Peter. Um, since I've been here, one of my main encouragers, he, he tells me when he agrees with me, um, which is oftentimes, and then he tells me when he disagrees with me as well, and then my feelings get hurt and I don't talk to him for a week. Um, and so um, incredibly thankful uh, for them. And so that being said, we are going to, to pray for you guys. I got Jeff and Kyle here. We're going to lay some hands. And uh, if you, church, as well, would you stand with me and just extend an arm and we're going to pray for the Pollocks as they go. Dear, dear Heavenly Father, God, we are so thankful um, for people like the Pollocks who listen to your call, and when everything seems impossible, when they have come to the end of their rope and they think that it doesn't matter what it is that I do, God, you have called me to this, and this task seems impossible. What do I do now? Um, that, that's when we step out in faith. That's when faith starts. And so, God, thank you for their faithfulness, even this journey that they are going on that have, you've been preparing them for for the last four, five, six, however many years it's been happening, God, and that Tuesday, it becomes a reality. So God, we do pray that you would deliver that property to them to do the ministry that you have called them to. God, we pray for those people that they will be ministering to. We pray for their family and even just the health of their family, the logistics of getting across the country, all of the things that, that you're sovereign over that you can do whatever you want with. God, just make it come together perfectly like only you do. So God, I pray that you would be seen in the midst of all of this, I pray that you would be honored in the midst of all this, and I pray that the, the Pollock family would, be, would feel loved in the midst of all of it as well. So we love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Give them a hand as they go. Thank you. <laughs> uh, one other thing that I forgot to say that we need help with, we haven't sold our house yet. We leave on Tuesday, and we still haven't sold our house. So you can buy their house as well. If you want to help them, uh, this one's doing the weird thing again. So if you want to help them uh, with moving or anything like that, uh, you can talk to Peter after service. He'll be the one that can't get away very quickly. Um, so that being said, let's go with this one. Mine's 
We've been having Mike trouble all, uh, all morning, guys. Um, so that being said, that's, that's just more sad news, right? And, and if you were at the town hall last week, you know that we talked about uh, turnover on our, on our staff as well. We talked about that, man, Kyle's leaving in a couple months. Danny's last day is going to be July 31st, who's our, our, uh, our youth director. And so if you would like to celebrate Danny, we're going to have a luncheon on July 31st right over here in the fellowship hall. Circle that. Uh, you can thank him well there. Um, and uh, Stephanie uh, put in her two weeks, and so she's gone now as well. And so we're like, cool, so Jeff and I can do all, everything, right? Um, wrong. Um, and so uh, the good news with all of this is that we've seen God's provision throughout even when I didn't want to. Um, and so uh, we had been moving in the direction uh, that we are moving now when we are kind of restructuring what it is that we do. Because as we looked at our, our kids that we have, we looked at our students that we have, we thought this is too much for, for really one person to be able to manage all of this plus the volunteers and the VBS and all of this stuff. And so what we decided to do is hire somebody, myself in conjunction with the board, um, decided that we are going to hire somebody to be our next-gen pastor is the position that we are calling it. And this next-gen pastor will be responsible for anybody from the age of zero through 18 years old. They're giving oversight to it. Okay, that doesn't mean that they're going to be in the nitty-gritty. They're not changing diapers. They're not doing anything like that. Their hands will really be in what Danny is doing in the junior high and the high school Peace. I mean, that'll be the hands-on piece for them. But on top of that, they will give oversight to everybody, every, to, to two staff members that we're going to hire beneath him who will be responsible for birth through kindergarten and first through fifth. So two part-time positions, 20 to 25 hours each. We're still working that out. Um, that uh, that will be responsible for those positions. And so our hope is, is that we can come up with, man, a, a comprehensive discipleship uh, strategy to the best of our ability in partnership with God. I, ho I hope it's not a partnership. Hopefully he owns it um, for our kids from as soon as they, as soon as you find out you're pregnant all the way through the time when they graduate high school. And so the good news in all of this is we started looking for this person uh, about six weeks ago, um, maybe eight weeks ago. It may have been longer than that. And we're really, really excited to announce that we, we hired our next-gen pastor. He will start August 1st. This is him and his wife. This is uh, our pastor, next-gen pastor, Brian Guy. So he's not here, but you can give him a round of applause. It's really exciting for us. Um, that's a picture of him and his wife, Madison, and their four-month-old son, Theo, up at camp this week. So they were at camp this week doing the, the junior high or the high school camp thing uh, this week. Uh, a couple things about Brian. Brian, he's, uh, he's 30 years old. Um, he is a, a native of Kingsburg, so he loves the Central Valley very much. Um, and uh, he just finished his master's in divinity, uh, meaning if you're keeping score, that makes me the third most educated person on staff at this point. Um, and so the worship pastor that we hire is going to be real dumb. Um, uh, just kidding, if you're listening online. Um, but, uh, but anyway, uh, all that to be said, um, Brian, he did just finish his MDiv. He's been doing student ministry for the last six years now. Um, and uh, he, he, man, he, he's a gem, and we're really, really excited about him. He's an administrative guru, and he was looking for what is the next step in ministry, um, and uh, him and I just, you know, kind of got together by happenstance, and uh, God was like, hey, here's a guy. And I was like, perfect. This is awesome. Um, and so it came together in a way that only God could kind of knitted that whole thing together. So August 1st, Brian will be starting, which is another God thing because Danny finishes July 31st, um, and Brian will start on August 1st, meaning we will have no gap in our, our care for our junior high and, uh, and senior high kids. So, yeah. 
So we are, we're, we're very, very uh, excited about, about all of that. So thank you for, uh, for being excited uh, in that as well. And as I was talking with Brian, the thing that just came out deeply with him is his deep heart for the Central Valley. Now, you don't understand that probably unless you are from the Central Valley or you've been, to the, you've been living in the Central Valley for a long period of time, right? That there is just something about this place. Some people call it a magnet. Some people call it a net. I don't know, whatever it is. But you're just kind of stuck here, and you learn to love it. And so we love it. He loves it. And he's excited to be able to continue to minister uh, to, to, for our students, for our kids, for, for all of that stuff. And so, um, so all that to be said... This has been an incredibly taxing season, even for our staff, as we, we think through, you know, what all this changeover. Because if you look back to where we were, man, Easter time, we were rolling, momentum, this is exciting, this is fun. Um, Jeff, even at one point, said, I can't remember a time doing ministry where I was more excited than this. And if you know Jeff Milhon, that dude doesn't get excited for anything, right? Like, he's just, and he also doesn't get sad about anything. He's just like, yeah, we'll make it work. Um, and so I really blame all of this on Jeff because he was like, I'm excited and everything broke. Um, and, uh, and so it's been really, really hard, which is difficult in ministry because oftentimes in the summertime, we intentionally shut stuff down, right? We shut Wednesday night dinners down. Uh, we shut uh, a lot of our normal programming that we do around the church down. So we can do a couple things. We want to make sure that our staff can take a little bit of a breather, think long term, do some planning, make sure desks and spaces are organized, make sure our building is well taken care of, do some maintenance things we want to do and all that stuff. But when all this came up, man, I felt like, personally, I felt like, man, my summer's gone and it's only May, right? Like, like when all of these conversations started happening. And so I just thought to myself, double down, I can do this. I will be able to, to just handle anything if I can just be a little bit more disciplined, if I can try a little bit harder, if I can do all of those uh, different things. Because between interviewing people and establishing schedules and, and candidates and making plans for our staff as they go, all of this got really time-consuming. And so all of that stuff, that extra time that the summertime usually affords me to do some of that long-term deep planning, all of that stuff, that, man, it was gone. It was absolutely and totally totally gone. And then beyond that, it's times like this that you think, man, we, but we've, man, we, we were doing so well. Like we had established momentum. Things were going well. Like God, it looked like you were blessing our ministry. You were using the people that we had in place to move our ministry forward. God, what, like, why is everybody leaving now? Like, why would you do this to us in the midst of us, like having momentum? And so your mind starts playing games with you at that point. Doubt really starts creeping in because truth be told, man, all that stuff, we had a great spring. People were getting plugged in. People coming to know Jesus, wanted to get baptized, new people showing up on Sundays, all of those different things. It was, it was fun. It was an exciting time of ministry. So we thought, man, we are rolling. And then all of a sudden, there's this massive speed bump that we see coming straight at us. And it's sitting right in the middle of the road. It doesn't matter what it is that we do, we cannot get past that speed bump. And so regardless of our trajectory, regardless maybe of your trajectory of same instances in your life, you just see this speed bump getting bigger and bigger and bigger until it's all it is you can see. And you think to yourself, God, what is it that you are doing here? Why is it that you are doing this? Like, God, I thought you were zigging, and it looks like you're zagging, as a matter of fact. How can I get back on track? How can I be confident in what we're doing when we are having so much turnover? 
How can I be confident? How is it that I, I can remain confident in what I feel like you've called us to when the rug is getting pulled out from beneath us, seemingly anyway? And I started getting worried. I couldn't control the outcome of where it is that we were going. Right? So, so I think, oh, if I can just hold on tighter. Kyle, are you sure? Are you really sure you're going to leave? Like, are you positive that's, that's what God has for you? Like, I was talking to God last night, and he told me something opposite, man. Like, are you, are you sure? And then eventually, like sometime in the last six weeks, I just had to lay it all down at God's feet because I am anxious and full of like nerves and like I lay down to sleep at night and I'm just staring at my ceiling thinking and, and thinking about the problems that lay ahead and like how is it that we are going to get through this? How is it that we can do this? Even, even prayerfully, how can we do it? Financially, how, can we, how are we going to get through all of this stuff, God? And it's not just in the instances of staffing, right? For those of you out here who love to control outcomes, who love to white-knuckle things to the best of your ability, and it's not just people leaving the church to go do other ministry. It's not just those things. It's the the day-to-day lives that we tend to lead, the day-to-day lives that we we live. And so Mark chapter 6 talks about this idea of when everything else seems impossible— Great, that's where faith starts. So if you look at verse 30, this is what it says. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Let's press pause right there. So a few things with this. Okay, these guys, like Pastor Kyle had talked about last week, these guys, the disciples at this point, had just gotten done being sent out to go teach. All of these people, all the disciples, Jesus sent them out and they're like, hey, go teach, go heal, go do all of these different things. And so they come back and they're amped up. They want to tell Jesus all the cool things that they had just done. And they're excited like a five-year-old with their finger paints, right? Like, look at this purple line, Jesus. It's so cute. You did such a good job, right? And so, and Jesus recognizes that they're tired. They're exhausted. They're in need of a nap, also much like a five-year-old. And so Jesus is like, you know what? Let's come away from all these people. Let's go find this, this little private spot. Let's get you a nap. Let's get you a little bit of food, and let's let you rest, And so a couple things that we want to make note of here. First of all, Mark here refers to the 12 as apostles for the first time. Okay, this is a big deal. They are called apostles instead of disciples. Okay, the the difference between disciple and apostle, apostle literally means one who is sent. Right, at this point they're disciples, so they're not being sent yet. As disciples, they're sitting there and learning from Jesus. They're following Jesus around. Jesus, show me what it is that you're doing. So they're following him and learning from him. As apostles, they are being sent out. Okay? And so there is a, there is a difference between, between those two things. And then they return to report. And so reading from Matthew and Luke's account of this, this same story, on their return, man, they were so excited about the ministry that they were doing. They had momentum. Look at where we're going. Look at what we did. Jesus, I had a conversation with somebody. Jesus, you'll never believe what happened, right? They are excited to be able to share with them. They're encouraged by the results they had seen, and they came back, man, all pumped up, eager to report to Jesus everything that had happened. 
So let's take a pause there. Let me ask you a question real quick. At this point, at this point, if you've been following along with us and especially you've been at church for a long time, were the 12 disciples at this point, Jesus hasn't been to the cross, he hasn't died, he hasn't resurrected yet, he hasn't even completely fulfilled his ministry, the early church isn't set up at this point, it's just Jesus and his disciples hanging out. At this point, were the 12 fully mature enough and having a complete understanding of who Christ was? No. Not at all. They had merely had some experiences with Jesus. Jesus had begun to work in their lives, and Jesus was like, hey, go. I'm going to send you out now. But Jesus, I'm not comfortable. I don't, I don't know all of the things. I don't know the answer. What if they ask me a hard question? Just go. You need some help? Here's a friend. You, can, you, you guys go two by two, so that way when you get a little bit nervous, there's someone next to you to, you know, to, to cushion the fall for you or whatever, whatever it may be. So Jesus sent out these, these ignorant men who had no means, by no means understood like the fullness of the message they were preaching. But he sent them out and he gave them power to act and expected them to learn as they went. It forces you to think. Right? If you are waiting until you know everything before you get involved in serving God, you're always going to be waiting 100% of the time. If you're waiting to make sure you have the right answers, if you're waiting until it's the right time in your family life, if you're waiting until work slows down just a little bit, if you're waiting for whatever it is you're waiting for, you're going to be waiting for a long time. And Jesus says, just go, go, do these things. Until you're waiting, uh, well, I need to go to one more Bible study. I need to go to one more small group. I need to go to one more equipping class. Stop, go. You know enough. These guys didn't even know that Jesus was going to the cross at this point. And Jesus was like, hey, go tell them about me, the Savior of the world. How's it work? Just go. Just go and be obedient. Jeff, Pastor Jeff talked about the Love Where You Live uh, uh, series that we're going to be walking through in August. And if August, in August, if you don't like serving, don't come. Because that's all we're going to be doing. That's, that's reverse psychology. I got you all, didn't I? Right? Because that's all August is going to be about. It's going to be about serving. And largely it's going to be about loving where we live. So Kings County for the vast majority of us. And there's a couple of you who aren't in Kings County. But that's what we're going to be doing is loving where we are living. And so there's a whole bunch of things that we have lined up. But not just things where we're going to love our community. How is it that you can get involved at the church as well? There is something for you. There are places for you to serve. So if you are one of those people who's been towing the line for a long time, and be like, oh, my schedule's kind of busy right now. Oh, my family life's kind of hectic right now. Well, I don't feel like I know enough about Jesus in order to do that. There's opportunities for you to serve. And some of them are really easy. Some of them are really difficult. Some of them are one time. Some of them are ongoing. But please, take an opportunity when we get to that time in August. Man, love where you live, whether it's the church, whether it's the community, whatever it may be. Take an opportunity to serve and stop using that excuse, I'm not ready to do it. You're never going to be ready. It's like being a parent. You're never ready. And then the baby's there and they send you home. You're like, good luck. Figure it out. And so that's largely what Jesus has done, has done here. He sends them all out. And so Jesus, in typical fashion at that point, he says, hey, let's grab some food. Let's get away from everybody, and let's, let's, re, let's recharge. And so they get into a boat, and they're sailing across uh, uh, the sea to find a spot. But people can see their boat. Okay, this is true. Like it says they went through all the towns, and they passed all these people sort of like passing these towns to get ahead of Jesus. 
Okay, so this isn't like a 100-yard dash for these people. Okay, this is from town to town. They're like, okay, where's Jesus' boat? Okay, yeah, we got to keep going this way, right? Like, let's keep going. And so town to town, they are moving and trying to get ahead of him. And on the Sea of Galilee, from any point on the, on the rocky shore, all the other locations along the shoreline are visible, all of them. So it wasn't too difficult for, for people to watch a departing ship and be able to tell where it's going to go, depart and, and land and follow it across the lake as it moves towards, towards its destination. And this is exactly what, it, what, what uh, this crowd appears to have done. There's Jesus and his disciples. Let's follow it across the lake. That's where he's going. Let's go over there. And so Jesus and his disciples, they get to the shore, and they're hoping for a little bit of R&R. That was their goal. But when they arrive, there are well over 10,000 people waiting for them on the shore to meet them. Because the people, they, man, they saw the boat going across the sea. They're running on land. They keep going through cities. More and more people follow. By the time Jesus lands on the shore, there's this massive mob waiting for them. Okay, I don't know what you guys did yesterday, but for me, what I did yesterday is I spent the better part of nine hours at a swim meet. Okay, we called we called them time trials. It was miserable. Okay, I don't know if any of you have ever been there. Very proud of our kids. Very excited of all the things we want to do. Okay, is the worst day of the year, legitimately. Okay, because it's like a hundred thousand degrees outside. Right, there's no shade anywhere unless you bring a tent. But then we've got like a million kids too, and so that means that like every five minutes, one of them is swimming in something, or you're nervous they're gonna. So we're sitting in the bleachers like for eight nine hours, legitimately, yesterday. Um, it was terrible. And so by the end of the day, we're fried, right? Like we come home and it's probably like 4, 4.15, 4.30, something like that. And I get home and all I want to do is just like crash. Like let me take a nap. Everybody leave me alone. Right? Can, can you imagine if you endured something like that, but then when you pulled up to your house, there are 10,000 people waiting for you when you got home? I'd be like, uh-uh, I'm going back to the swim meet, right? Like I don't even care at that point. I want to go back because there's fewer people at the swim meet than are waiting for me at the house. So Jesus and all of his disciples, this is what is happening to them. They had just gotten finished doing ministry. They are wiped. They are hungry. They are exhausted. And Jesus is like, let me get you some R&R. They pull up on the shore, and 10,000 people are waiting for them. It says in verse 34 that there's a large group or, or that there was a, a large crowd when they were going to land. And rather than being frustrated that they couldn't rest, Jesus has compassion on all of them. Compassion here, it's a, it's a, it's a really strong word. But, but he says he had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus starts doing his thing. He starts, he starts teaching. And that compassion word there, it means to be so moved on the inside that it compelled him to take action on the outside. It wasn't simply feeling bad for somebody, right? It wasn't like, oh, poor guy, and then you keep scrolling Facebook, right, or anything like that. They, were, they had so much compassion for them that they were compelled to do something at that point. So let's keep going. Mark 6, 35. It says, by this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. 
So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he said to, then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000, okay? Remember, the number of men was 5,000. Women and children weren't included in this. That's where we get that 10,000-plus number from for this. But for the book of Mark, this is a very vivid description, okay? Anytime Mark uses any adjective whatsoever, that's a big deal because as we have seen throughout this book, he's like two verses of a story, done. Next story, let's move on. We got stuff we want you to hear. We got stuff we want you to be able to understand, and so this no doubt reflects Peter's memory of this event. So remember, Peter is the one who is dictating all of this to Mark. And so, by the way, this is the only miracle that shows up in all four Gospels accounts outside of the resurrection of Jesus. So this was a huge deal. This made a mark on everybody who was there and everybody who was listening. And so they never forgot this. Peter especially, right? That line where it says that, that he commanded them to, to, to recline by groups, essentially, is what it said. It literally could be translated garden plot by garden plot, Right? It appeals to your magnolia home inside of you. But he could, still, he could still see them. Peter could still see them sitting on the hillside, right, lined up like vegetables in a row, just kind of waiting. He remembered the green grass that was growing all over the hills at that point, the fields in the month of April when all of this took place. And as, as the people sat down, they just looked like this little vegetable garden, that they were waiting for their food. And the disciples seemed concerned about this crowd as anybody in here would, or at least anybody who is type A like me would, right? I'm that person. We got 30 people who's invited for dinner. We're going to buy enough for 30 people. No, you can't bring two more people because I don't have enough food for 32 people. I have enough food for 30, right? Ask me a week ago and maybe we can make that happen. Seven extra people show up, forget it. Sorry, you can't come into my house. Right? Like, like some of us are like that, and I get that, and I understand that. There's other people who are like, oh, 50? Sure, bring them over. We got Ritz crackers. We'll call it a night. Let's go. It'll be a party. But that's not how the disciples seem to be reacting at this point. They're like, there are, there are 10,000 people. This seems impossible to be able to do this. And Jesus, he, when he answers, he says, you do it. You give these people something to eat. The you here is emphatic meaning that it, like, like it's the point, you do it, exclamation point, you. So, so 200, like it says six months worth of wages, it was about 200 denarii, which would have been about eight months wages actually, closer to eight months wages. And I don't think they're saying here that they have a bag of money. They're like, oh yeah, let's drop, let's drop eight months wages on this. I think they're saying, what are we supposed to do, Jesus? Pull a million dollars out of the bag and go buy them something? Like, like, what, like, like the, the number was so astronomical that it wouldn't have made sense to them. Like, yeah, oh, sure, you want, us, you want us to waste an entire eight months' worth of wages on food for these 10,000? Like, allow them to go up into the cities. Allow them to go buy stuff, right? Because there were a few towns nearby, and towns were generally, generally small. Most towns at that point could only accommodate a handful of visitors. Like, thousands of people would have been overwhelming to them. And beyond that, in those towns, most of the day's bread, remember, end of the day, would have been gone by then. 
Think about it. Like, it's not like you get to go to Save Mart and you're like, oh, it's 11 o'clock. I go late at night so no one sees me and I can do whatever I want, right? Uh, I'm going to buy some white rainbow bread, uh, get the cheap stuff for the kids. Ooh, Oro wheat for the adults, a little healthier, a little more expensive. Make sure I get that in, full fiber, you know what I mean? Like, doing the, like, that wasn't available. That wasn't an option for them. Bread baking was a daily thing that happened every day. So, all of this bread would have been gone. There was not an option for these people to go and find food somewhere. And so Jesus, what he is asking these disciples to do was literally impossible. It was not possible for them to be able to do. And so oftentimes in difficult situations, you know, what we'll say is, well, I'll just try a little bit harder. I'll be a little bit more disciplined. If I just stretch myself a little bit more, I can, probably, I can probably pull that off. And that's not what Jesus is asking the disciples to do at this point. He's not saying, I want you to try harder. He wants them to, to see that it is impossible. He wants them to look at their abilities. He wants them to look at their resources and say, no matter what we do, this is absolutely impossible. There is no path forward. And too often, we come to the end of ourselves before it is that we trust God. And so where'd the food come from? In the story, we know there's five loaves and two fish. They brought Jesus what they had and let him kind of do the work. Let him do the miracle when they realized they couldn't do it apart from him. Well, we know it's impossible, but here, this is what we have for everyone, Jesus. And this is the disciples being obedient to God's call even when it looked impossible to do so. All right, look at your life for a second. What looks impossible to do? What is it that seems like Jesus has called you to do that seems impossible? Maybe you're like the Pollocks and they're moved to Georgia where I'm sure there are times when they have thought, not possible, not going to happen. If it's me, I would have been saying it more so than you guys. Congratulations on your faith. But maybe it, it, it doesn't even have to be that big. Right? Maybe it's simply you being obedient to God when he says to stop whatever sin it is that you're dealing with. Right? Maybe it's God telling you to step out in faith to come and do something you never anticipated you could do. Maybe it's God simply saying, serve your community somewhere in the same way that people have served you. Return the favor and do it in my name because that's when that's when faith starts when you come to the end of your own ability and step into the unknown goodness of God's provision for you that's faith but the story's not over there 45 to 59 immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd and after leaving them he went up on a mountainside to pray Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but, then, or, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them. And the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, 
they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Okay, there are two things here we don't want to miss. Okay, the first thing Mark says here is immediately. Okay? That means these two stories are connected. It wasn't months, it wasn't weeks, it, was, it wasn't days, it was immediately afterwards. It's one of Mark's favorite words, immediately, action, let's move. So Mark also said that he made them get into the boat. He forced them in, go get into the boat. This is a very strong Greek word. The verb means here, literally it means he forced them, he compelled them to go ahead without him. We would say he forced them in. But in other words, Mark wants you to know that they were absolutely sure this is what Jesus wanted them to do. That they didn't get partway out and think, I wonder if Jesus wanted us to leave. No, he forced them into the boat. Okay, think about the dynamic of this situation. Think about the disciples at this point. Let's back up, right? They had just finished teaching all day. They came back, and they were excited. They're pumped up. They're exhausted. They didn't get anything to eat. And Jesus is like, you guys need a nap right now. But instead of a nap, they decided to feed 10,000 people instead. Jesus' miracle. I don't care. Like, like I, I mean, I do care. But, but this miracle was massive. Like, Jesus duplicates all these things. I think it was still the disciples who had to do the legwork of getting those 10,000 people fed. Right? Their Fitbits were through the roof for the day. Yeah, so they had to go around, they're exhausted, and all of this stuff is exciting, and it's fun, and Jesus is doing all this stuff, and, and Jesus' popularity at this point is at a high. 10,000 people saw his boat and went to where they were going. People wanted to see the Savior. They wanted to see the Messiah. They wanted to see this guy. And so I'm sure the disciples at this point are pumped up too. They're like, we hitched our wagon to the right horse. Look at this guy. Thousands of people come to him. Remember, they're fishermen. They've got no stature. They've got no position. And then all of a sudden, they're thinking, man, what is happening? Like, this guy could be king, maybe. I wonder what positions maybe I could have with this guy. Man, that would be awesome. And Jesus is like, nope, don't think about that. Get into the boat. Get out of here. And so Jesus, man, they go across and they get into the boat and Jesus is like, I'm going to dismiss everybody. You guys go on ahead. I'll meet you where it is that you're going to go. And so they get in and it says that Jesus, as he's looking at them, they're struggling with the oars. They're having a hard time, which means, again, wind and waves and storm and difficulty. And then it says in the fourth watch in the night. So at this time, the Romans, they, they separated timing by, by different intervals. It was three-hour intervals. Okay, and the first hour, the first, the first watch of the night was three, or what, excuse me, was six o'clock to nine o'clock. So we can assume at this point that this is some point between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., which means they've been up all night dealing with this, struggling with the wind, struggling with the waves. And dawn is beginning to, to break at this point. And then Jesus walks on water. So Jesus, like they had watched him speak to the waves and wind and, and calmed them. He owned them. And they were silenced. And now he walks on the sea. And not a smooth sea, by the way. Right? There, like there is wind and waves and all of this, this craziness going on. It says that the things weren't calmed until Jesus steps into the boat. 
And so it's crazy, all of these stuff. And then Jesus says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. It's literally, have courage, I am. Do not be afraid. Did you hear that? Jesus identifies himself with the title, I am, meant to convey his deity. So if you've been around church for a long time, that you know that Moses and a burning bush, all of that stuff went down. And Moses is like, who, who should I say sent me? I am. I am who I am, the God of the covenant, Exodus 3, verses 14 to 15. This is the same thing Jesus said to Moses 1,500 years before this. I am who I am, the ever-existing one, God himself, recognition of who Jesus is also means, though, that you you recognize what it is that he can do, and that's the part that we miss. See, Jesus gets into the boat and suddenly the wind stops and they are utterly astonished. They are blown away by this. And we find ourselves thinking when I read stories like this, guys, come on. Like how many times does he have to do this before you figure it out? Like this is God in the flesh. He can do anything he wants. And this whole discussion starts back in Mark chapter 4 when Jesus calm the sea in the middle of the storm. They ask the question, who is this man that even the wind and the sea obey him? He is answering this question for them now, that he is God over everything. He's God over the demonic enemies when he healed the demoniac, that this is the God who who has power over disease. This is the God who has power over death. This is the God who can do anything. This is the same God that if you have said yes to Jesus, resides inside of you. The same power, the same compassion, the same empathy. This is the creator and the sustainer of the universe that the disciples have a front row seat to. And we look at these disciples and we think, come on, guys, why don't you get it? And we look at all the experiences they had with Jesus. And we understand the problem was that they were experiencing these miracles, but they weren't learning from them. They were experiencing God's faithfulness, but they weren't learning from God's faithfulness. They were not gaining insight. It begs the question, how much does Jesus have to do before they get it? And it begs the second question. We have the entire Old Testament. We have the full New Testament story, which the disciples at this point did not have. They're halfway through it. We have 2,000 years of God's faithfulness in the church. We have far more today than those disciples ever had. So, let's ask the question. How much does Jesus have to do before we get it? It's not enough just to experience God's faithfulness. It's not enough just to, to see him and see his miracles. We have to gain insight. We have to learn in order that we might trust him. And I get it, like I'm number one, like, like I go into Jeff's office one of the times when I was freaking out about staffing and someone else said no to us, Jeff, and all those different things, right? Like, Jeff, what are we going to do? He's like, it's going to be fine. Like, God's under control. I'm like, can you not? Like, I know God has it under control, Jeff. My brain gets that. If you could tell it to the anxiety that's forming in my stomach right now, I would really appreciate that, though. 
And we do that not just with, with staff hires, and we do it not just with when people leave and, and, and go do ministry other places, and we do that not just when we have financial hardship, but we do that not just when we're having difficulty with our job or with our kids or anything like that. We just do it because we're trying to white-knuckle our problems and solve them on our own rather than recognizing that, hey, God is faithful. Jesus is faithful. He's sovereign. He's got it under control in the first place. So why don't we stop for a second, let go of everything, and say, God, I just want to partner with you in this. If you can take control, I'm going to start by setting it all down and praying. About a month ago, we had a, uh, a worship candidate that we were going to bring out. And 18 hours before that worship candidate was supposed to be here, he called me and canceled. 18 hours before he was supposed to be here to start his visit, Three weeks worth of work. Me saying, God, we got it. I got it. Look how disciplined I am. Look at the resume that I found. Look at how good this person is. Look at all of this. Look what I did for you, God. And he's like, yeah, no, nah, he's not the guy. And man, I was wrecked. All of the work. I mean, even financial pieces that we had put into place to get him to come here, like all of it just gone. And God was like, I've got this under control. You need to stop. Stop trying harder. Just take a second, let it go, and ask where it is that you can partner with me rather than think of me simply as an afterthought. So today I just want to end with one charge. If you're white-knuckling sins or if you're white-knuckling control over your life or whatever it may be, until you've got it figured out. I think the question that you need to answer is why. And if you're like me, who wants to control situations and wants to be able to control outcomes and do all that stuff, it's not just so you can do it because that's the way that you're wired. It's a faith issue. I have to tell myself that regularly. That no, you're not just wired that way. You're not anxious because you're just anxious. It's because you don't have enough faith that God is going to come through when you don't. And that's hard. Like, I get it. Like, I live it every single day of my life. Right? Like, my stomach lining knows it more than anybody else. And that's a difficult thing to be able to do, but you have to answer the question, why is it? Because it seems clear that Jesus can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And so do we have so little faith that little things like the staffing of the church seem overwhelming in the grand scheme of things? Or in the grand scheme of things, little things like you had a son or a daughter who fell away from the Lord. If I just try a little bit harder, maybe they'll come to love Jesus. Or little things, like I'm in this massive financial hole and I don't know how to get out of it. Or if I just try a little bit harder, rather than saying, you know what, I'm going to let go. I'm going to take a minute, pray to the creator and the sustainer of the universe who has taken up residence inside of me and ask him how it is that I can partner with him in the plans that he already has moving forward because he can do whatever it is that he wants. Are we willing to listen to what Jesus has for us, what God has commanded us to, and are we willing to, to place our faith in one who feeds thousands, gives all of them a nice little sack lunch, and not only tames the seas, but can also walk on top of it? I think that's the question we got to ask ourselves. 
And for some of you, this message stings a little bit more. All you type B's in the room are like, well, I don't care, I just do whatever. But you type A's, I get it, man. I'm with you. And it's a faith issue. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're, we're thankful for your son. God, we're thankful for texts like this that challenge us to know that you're in control, that you have it completely and totally figured out, that it's, we can try our best and we can white-knuckle uh, control to the best of our ability, but you're a whole lot stronger than we are, and you can move mountains. You can say no to people who aren't supposed to be in place. You can just completely and totally level us when we think we have everything under control. And so, God, I pray that, that we would simply partner with you and what you're already doing rather than trying to establish our own way and trying to establish our own direction. Father, thank you for your son and the example that he sent forth and not just for the incredible miracles that were shown today in the text, God, but the miracle of him going and dying on a cross and then raising again three days later for all of us who would call upon his name to be able to spend eternity with you. And so if that's you this morning, maybe you've, you've been living a life that's, that's faithless with heads still bowed and eyes still closed. Maybe you're living a life where you've just been kind of stiff-arming God and saying, you know what, I'll get to God later. And you just can't do it anymore. If that's you this morning and you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time or the 50th time, you can just pray along with me in the quietness of your heart. Simply say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. But B, I believe you sent your son to die on a cross for me so I could spend eternity with you and serve you now. And see, I would choose to follow you every single day. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.